Welcome to the Technori Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Katoon. Joining me on the show today, Jake Marmelstein. He's a CEO, founder of Groundbreaker. Obviously, you listen to the show, you know that I have a, a fairly decent background in real estate, so I find this very interesting. Um, anyone in the real estate space, whether you're an investor or operator or whatever, you are probably quite familiar with the challenges of managing all the investments, managing who owns what, who gets what, their personal information, filings, K-1s, blah, 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 blah. Um, in a lot of ways, it's kind of amazing, and he even said it in the show, it's amazing that this didn't exist already. Um, Carta is basically what this is, but instead of it being for VCs, it's for real estate investors. It's a fantastic way to manage everything and in a secure way. And we go all the way down the, the roll as to like how exactly it works, why he built it, how he built it, the struggles he's solving for, and then also himself, like how do I build something that I, I'm non-technical? Like how do I do this? What are the key pieces to know? Uh, he goes through that entire thing. So uh, definitely a worthwhile listen. Startup Inbox is brought to you by Active Campaign. Go beyond email marketing with True Automation by signing up at activecampaign.com slash technory. Get your first two months for free. Um, fits right in with the show. Ultimately, it's just a statement that I'm just tired of hearing. People need to stop with the big data thing. I talked about it at the end of this show, but I'll just say it on the front too. Big data is a term that is misused and it sets the tone so that the average person who's not really invested in this is looking at data and they're thinking collection of information and then resale, not how do I protect data? How do I make sure that your data is transferable and I can migrate? How do I distill this information into a usable story that I can then provide my team with, provide other people with. Like, yeah, in some cases it's selling it, but the idea of investors and the hot commodity that was big data a couple of years ago, and now we talk a lot about the application of data, there's like a huge miss. People just missed the fact that the investable companies that were very attractive were not the companies that had access to a lot of data. That's everybody. You're all spewing data out everywhere you go. It's the companies that focused on building a way to securely organize first, then distill and read from the data enough information to put together a story that tells to the layman what that data actually means. That is big data. Big data is taking big data and turning it into small bites in a meaningful way. This is my conversation where you will hear more about big data and real estate with Jay, Jake Marmelstein, the CEO of Groundbreaker. God, I hope that you can put, you should put that. That's how we start the show. This guy is, he's so customer centric. He's doing this calls right on the show. Uh, Groundbreaker, I think is an interesting conversation piece right off the top, because for anyone listening, who's had to deal with real estate, which I have a decent experience spending the first part of my career in it. There are so many things that it is rife with problems. There are so many things that are a pain in the ass to deal with and managing egos and capital might be at the nearest top of that list and you guys are th in the thick of it yeah yeah we are um it, it's it's a lot of uh, managing investor expectations and helping people to have the tools so that they can do a better job at that yeah because um, most people are managing it like the traditional way with excel spreadsheets and email um, it's going really well <laughs> yeah it's uh having like three interns in your office uh, stuffing envelopes uh, using paper checks and sending them in the mail is uh, 
it's quite uh, quite fun. No, yeah, it, it's not. It's and you have no idea where anything like every. I just remember the day. The, again, this is like I don't even know what are we ten years ago? I don't. It was, yeah, I guess about ten years ago. We are in a spot where the number of emails and phone calls where I'd say, "Well, we haven't just received it yet," but everything is in transit. Yeah, you have no idea where the check is. You have no idea where the deal's at. Like everything is just sort of like Lucy, which I guess is good. It's terrible, but it's good in the sense that like you had a built-in excuse for why you were delayed. Like even if you weren't delayed, you could always just say, "Well, the check hasn't gotten here yet," and then you could like slow the process down as you're getting like all of your your permits and things in order. Like it was a built-in that, that I guess as an operator, I was helpful. But then when things were going well, which hopefully if you're successful, it's going well most of the time. It was a huge pain in the ass because I literally am like, I'm waiting for Okay, no docs. Oh, no ch- All right. Yeah, it's like the dog ate my homework. Um, yes. Yeah. Except that the dog is eating a check, which I'm losing money. <laughs> I mean, every day that people are on site building and I don't like or we're waiting, we don't have the money like it's it's a challenge. And on my end, it was construction with like new real estate ventures like shopping centers and things. Mm-hmm. So the checks were gigantic. But also it goes the other way, which is probably the most common application on your end is going to be in REITs and people investing in a REIT and and the money being there and knowing who owns what percentage and what you know what are their interest rates, what's the yield, what all this stuff. Walk me through how Groundbreaker solves for this. So for sure, uh, and and let me just uh, add a, a slight tweak and correction to you is that most of the people that we're working with are actually real estate syndicators. Okay, yeah. So different from a REIT, uh, they're just doing deals uh, deal by deal. So yep. they'll have an LLC asset, they'll take down a deal, and then they'll go and they'll say, we're going to put this under contract, we need a certain amount of equity, uh, and then we're going to get the debt, and they'll raise the equity from individual investors who might be their friends and family, they might be accredited So would you investors. say these are more, I'm not going to say individual proprietors, but these are these are not large property management groups. These are more, you know, one to 10 homes, one to 10 building type things. Uh, you see you see a lot um, of uh, variation. There could be companies that uh, might develop uh, assets from the ground up and are doing uh, large commercial buildings with, uh, with a large capital stack with institutional investors. But most of these groups who are raising from private investors um, you know they 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 have a lot of variety in their capital stack. They could have um, you know they could have individuals. They could have institutions. They might have strictly institutions. Um, so the the deal size does vary. It could be residential, commercial, um, and within commercial, you can see a lot of variation in the types of assets. Um, so just to kind of provide an example, we we just recently signed up a guy who um, has a he has about eight multifamily properties. And manages around fifteen million in equity across um, forty investors. So every investor is investing between a hundred and two hundred thousand. Yeah, and and then those investors in, are investing in other real estate syndicators too, which means that they have even more to keep up with. Um, so they don't necessarily have a system to be able to manage all that so would it be the would it be both then would it be the the, the original person who's got the 15 million in man, under management and all the investors individually could use this like for their own absolutely so groundbreaker what it does is it helps uh the real estate syndicators clean up their back office take everything that they have in different forms in email in Excel and Microsoft Office Suite, and it brings all that data into one system of record, uh, which is the Groundbreaker platform. And then they can 
be able to raise capital from there, manage their database of investors, they can report to investors, and then they can give them a portal where the investors can access those investments. Um, so on an individual firm basis, those investors can see what they have in those investments with that company. Yep. We haven't quite gotten to the point where we had developed a solution where you know any one investor can check their investments across multiple different companies all in one place, but once we get the solution out into more people's hands, then we'll be able to do something like so that. So in a lot of ways, this, this is kind of a little bit uh, parallel to Cardo for VCs. Yeah, that's a really good parallel. Um, so in the same way that Cardo does cap table management um, for VCs, we're pretty much doing that for the companies where the companies are paying and then um, they're giving access to their investors so they can have more transparency and have everything in one place for their stakeholders. This is super niche and you look to be a young guy. How did you get it? Like, how did you, I can see how I would find myself seeing the gray hairs. Well, that's just startup founder stuff. That, that <laughs> probably, you, you can get that anywhere. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe you peppered it in. Maybe that's, you know, <laughs> maybe it's not even your hair. It's like uh, one of those, one of those services you got and they, they found some grays from somebody else. <laughs> I don't, I don't assume Jake. I don't assume. Yeah. This mustache comes off too. Um, it could. I don't uh, uh, well, you know what? I was in. Uh, I studied real estate in university, and uh, I worked in the professional field for a, a long enough time to be able to see that this workflow is just a disaster. I was actually doing a lot of underwriting on hotel investments uh, during the downturn, so a lot of distressed assets, and we were only in a five-person group, uh, and that was actually in a REIT. Yeah. We had a lot of investors looking to place their capital because it was ripe time for investing and tons of deals that floated by my desk. And so I was just stretched really thin, managing a lot of records, doing reporting, asset management, deal underwriting. Uh, it, it just, you know, in the tools that we had, it, it wasn't sustainable. So I, I looked in the market and surprisingly didn't find any solutions that address this need. Um, and that's why I created Groundbreaker. So it came from, you know, that, that experience seeing the business for what it was um, to demand better tool, and then kind of that's how the journey started. It's it's so funny because I can relate to you in this in so many ways. I mean, I was during the downturn was when I was in commercial real estate and it wasn't even the reason I left. Actually, it was like the best time as far as business goes because the opportunity we had capital. So it was, you know, you're buying like crazy. We were sucking up corner spots that we were going to flip to Walgreens like it was going out of style. And I, I've said this, if, if I would have, it's just a, a funny side story. But if I, at that time, if I was more entrepreneurial, which you know, I don't, I just wasn't, I don't, I don't know why I wasn't thinking that way. I was like, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just was done with that. I would have created a property management marketplace that would have solved all the pain points that I was having. And then fast forward almost a decade, I end up taking an investment and partnering with the founder of SMS Assist, who would have been the marketplace. We actually used him as a customer by the time I was leaving, would have been the marketplace that I would have probably set out to create if I were, you know, if I were entrepreneurial at that time, and, you know, th this whole story is a different story then. Yeah. But it was like, I, I totally can see where you're sitting there. And I was in that same chair on a different, you know, with a different hat going, there has to be another way. And at that time, 2000, you know, for me, it was like 2005 to 10. Real I mean, we didn't even have an email and internet at our office in the early, when I first went there, which is nuts. But like real estate is just different. It's a different breed of people. They don't prescribe to like, anything that normal human beings do. Yeah, so I, I think like the, the opportunity for real estate was there and I could see it. 
But um, for a lot of people, they wonder, how do you break into entrepreneurship? How do yeah. you get the ability to build that first See, I didn't know that. I didn't even, it didn't even dawn on me. Yeah. And, and it, and it's really hard actually, you know, as a non-technical founder myself, I had to go through a lot of learning to be able to find the right people, get the right talent assembled, build the first iteration, realize that, you know, what I built has some holes in it Yep. and then be able to improve upon that. But it's, it's just a learning process. But I think nowadays when you look at like universities and the way that uh, people are going through school. There's a lot more opportunity yeah. in those universities themselves for incubators, accelerators, and mentors that you find even as a student. So you might be graduating and you already got a startup under your belt. Yeah, and it, and, and that's great. I, I think I complain a lot about the schools and things in their programs because I am in the space now, mm-hmm. and I'm now I look back and I judge the shit out of what they're doing, and yeah. it's like whatever they're doing is still better than what I had in front of me at the time. And then I think what leads me into like that your journey a little bit more is you, when you describe the non-technical founder creating things, the part that I think is the big challenge for you and for healthcare, some insurance, a handful of other spots that are very data heavy and sort of unique. Uh, the way that they work and operate is unique is what I'll call business logic. Mm -hmm. The really challenging part for starting a company in real estate, and I think it's the part that would have drowned me when I came out of this not being technical either, is that you need to understand all of the business logic of real estate, which you clearly do. But the developers that you're working with, either you need to be so good at explaining to them the purpose behind why someone will use this and how they plan to use it, how they would likely versus not likely use it. Mm -hmm. If you don't, if your development team doesn't have that in the long term, like, the likelihood of success is super low because you start, like I saw this in the, I would say when I first came into the tech scene in Chicago, it was like 2013, 14. And I remember seeing companies pitching me stuff in real estate and, and other just where logically I had experience. And I was like, there's zero chance that anyone in my space will ever use this tool. And it's like, it solves the problem. You're, you're right. You're dead on on that. However, it is not even remotely in line with how I work and how we work. Yeah, I think that's a really important uh, point because when you look at something from a only technical angle, you might know how the computer works to solve the problem, to get the data, to crunch the numbers yep. and spit out a solution. But uh, if you don't understand the actual workflow that people are running through, then you might not have a solution that ever gets used. So one of the big breakthroughs at Groundbreaker was when uh, we were onboarding customers and we realized that we need to become a system of record, not just a tool, but a place where you don't just uh, use the, the system to get more efficiency in your, in your business, but you actually transition all your existing data into that system. Yeah. And that means that we manually take all of the data from our customers' existing records, their subscription agreements, their K-1s, their offering memorandums, and their distribution notices, all that data. We put it into the system manually for them. So if they've got a portfolio of like eight assets and $30 million under management with 50 investors, we're putting that in so that the investor who logs in on day one is going to have this portfolio that's up to date with all of their contributions, distributions, all their tax documents and reports in a graphical format and table format where they can see it and it's instantly this wow factor for them. And then when the sponsor or the syndicator hears about that, they instantly get value from the software from day one, Um, which means that, you know, we're doing our job. Uh, The software isn't just a tool 
it's it's just a shift and a transformation in the way that they do business. Yeah, I, th I think, I mean, I assume either now or in the future, you'll be doing this in a way where it's scraping and you don't have people manually inputting everything. Yeah, uh, that would be the dream. Um, as long as accountants can get, uh, you know, K-1s into a format where they're not scratching through with yeah. uh, pens. Well, that's that's going to be the barrier to entry on that, I think, yeah. for a while. But um, <laughs> governments are still so slow on all this stuff that, like, it's just, it's impossible. But I, I do think, you know, to your point, I think one of the brilliant things here that is why this can be so big is we talk, you know, we've had multiple people in the space, not in real estate necessarily, but in the sort of the data migration, we'll call it you know, like narrative science, Stuart's in here and he's talking about it for like eight years, he's running one business with his mindset on a, a totally different business. But he had to build a company that would change the narrative, pun intended, on how your business views data and how you store it and how you everything. Because the big picture idea of where I am 10 years from now, I can't get there unless you're operating a certain way and not just you, all of you are operating in this certain way. You're storing data similarly, you're collecting you know, these certain pieces of information, your the way that you use that information to fill out the next form and the next form and the next form and the way you track it and the way you report, all these things have to be done in one similar-ish way. Or I can't ever get to the point where I'm doing this at hyperspeed. And so like for you, I mean, it, it could be this way for a while, just like it was for Stuart, until eventually you get to a point where you have so much information that you put together all the right way, the same way, now you can unlock extreme value in all kinds of different areas and in creating what we'll call stories that tell the story of this investor journey and the, the returns and the reports and everything. It's just a, then you're selling value to literally all sides of the equation. Yeah, that, that's, um, you know, that's actually a really interesting concept that we can definitely explore down the road. The more people adopt the solution, the more data that you know once was fragmented and in different tools, maybe written down in pen and paper, um, becomes actually structured data. Now it exists um, on the internet in a in a structured form where you can search through it and index it, and uh, then you can be able to draw insights from that data once you have a track record and history, and we can be able to say who's the best operator on the groundbreaker platform and what asset class are they in. And uh, that's actually really exciting for institutional investors for or investors sure. that want to place capital um, in, in you know, real estate and alternatives. And they might not get access to those opportunities because it's just so, uh, it's so unorganized nowadays yeah. and, and it's so much word of mouth based. But when you bring it into the, the cloud and you're able to track it over time, um, it opens up a lot of opportunities. Um, and, I, and I think um, another point that you were talking about that kind of lit up in my head was the idea that people need to see why this is important, um, not just from that angle, but from the whole cybersecurity angle. It hasn't been something that people really talk about much uh, these days until you see the breaches. And I was listening to uh, a, uh, a book uh, by the founder of DuckDuckGo, where he was talking about how he started the platform in 2009 before anyone really cared about privacy yeah. and, and uh, their data being uh, breached. But uh, but recently it's become a huge thing after like 2013 and the recent breaches that we've seen with uh, big name corporations. And uh, that's also an issue in the space that I see is that people send information that's personally identifiable over the Internet in unencrypted formats, like sending K1s attached to an email, um, sending wire instructions through an email. There's email spoofing. There's people getting uh, their accounts compromised. And, uh, and it's just a huge risk in the industry. And, and I think that's getting people's attention nowadays where 
they're looking at uh, the cloud and other solutions on the internet as a way to lock down information um, and and just feel more at peace with the fact that you know somebody who has better security me measures than they do uh, is adding redundancy to that workflow so that their investors don't suffer uh, some of these drastic consequences that, that you see um, happening to people who do get compromised. I, I totally agree with you. I, I've said this many times, say it again, the the concept, the term big data, it makes me cringe. It made me cringe when yeah. I first heard it. It reminds me of, we talked about this in the last, last show actually, uh, of climate change and people saying global warming. And it was like, ah, you branded that the wrong way. No one's ever going to be able to go away from it. They're only going to think of climate change as like, oh, the world's heating up. It's cold out. Like, duh, it doesn't work. That thought process was applied, or lack of thought process, was applied to the term big data. And all the people and all the businesses and all the investors in the early stage looked at big data as like, who collects the most? And that's the most value. And then we're going to sell the data. And that's and people can't get their brain around it. Like, no. Yeah, you got to st distill it down. It's totally different. B yeah. Big data, the companies that want to invest in big data are not the companies that just collect data. It's the companies that can organize it and distill it down to an actual story that is applicable and useful. That's big data, exactly. not collection and resale. That's Facebook. <laughs> it's this different world. Yeah, it's like saying global warming is heating up the world. Now, when you say like, oh, well, you know, there's there's more uh, the pH level in this uh, lake in my backyard is really uh, low and acid. You know, there used to be fish. There's no fishing. But that's a real life example that you can actually relate to. Um, but if you start the conversation with yeah. global warming as the term, mm -hmm. you've lost like all those people don't even get. They to don't this. even understand it. Yeah. yeah, you're doing a much better job than they did on explaining <laughs> your business. Thank you. Um, well, I would hope so. Well, you'd be surprised the number of founders who come through here and they're like, no, no, no I get it. It's like. I actually get it. You're like totally, you know, self-absorbed in this. I, I understand why you're like that. <laughs> but like at some point, I hope that you brought on a founder who or a co-founder or somebody on your team who's like, you know, we're going to have to sell this to somebody else. Like we do have to kind of understand what their thought process is. Yeah, you know what really helped? Um, I think being able to go through an accelerator and uh, pitch on stage. And when you go through that and you have to talk to investors, that really helps, I think, to be able to distill your business down because investors, you know, they want the high level. Um, and uh, and it's not it, when you're so deep in the business, it's not that uh, gut reaction to be able to do that. You want to tell them every little detail and um, and you have to distill it down and, and, and make it really simple for people to be able, people to be able to understand um, when you have other stakeholders involved. Well, even the most engaged investor, you're going to get like three minutes and 40 seconds of their time. So, I mean, like, if you can't get the whole pitch out, then you're you're sort of, they may miss the big part. Yeah, the right kind of investors uh, typically tend to have shorter attention spans. I can confirm that. Yeah, I don't, I can, I can confirm that as well. Uh, so, the, the other thing I want to ask you is, for those people, whether they obviously use Groundbreaker, which is your objective, um, or not, what is, what are a couple of pieces of advice that you would give all these operators that you guys are currently serving that may or may not be on your platform yet, as to how they should look at their information, how should they organize? If they obviously they should use Groundbreaker, that would help. But like, if they're not yet, what are some tips that you would say from your experience and from the Groundbreaker perspective that would help them be more organized, more efficient? What are some of the gains that they would see in this? I think uh, it's it's very important to be able to organize yourself in a structured way. So uh, some companies they. Like I, I, when we do imports, we see the way that people manage their back office, 
and I've seen really uh, horrible things that would make investors cringe if they knew the way that the syndicator is holding their information. I would just say that the best clients are the ones that have everything uh, organized in a, in a spreadsheet. Uh, and it's, it's clean, it's formatted. Uh, there might be data validation around the field, so they're reducing keystroke errors. Um, being able to also, when sending K1s out, if you can use um, a secure system like Dropbox or Google Drive and be able to share links uh, privately with investors, that's a good way to do it. Or being able to redact uh, the, the taxpayer identification number or social security number in those K1s uh, before you send them is a nice way of adding extra security. Um, you know, those are some little things that people can do now to be able to add more security and more organization to their records. Uh, and, and it, it is, you know, more work of course. Uh, but if you're not quite at that level where you want to get uh, a system to really manage everything, then there's, there's little things that you can do. And, uh, for anyone that's interested, uh, they can look at our blog, which has some tips on how you can approach modern investment management from a more manual way without necessarily buying into the hotel, whole technology just yet. And for that groundbreaker.co. Co. And uh, yeah, you can click on our blog from the header. Simple enough. Yep. Awesome. Jake, I appreciate you taking the time. All right. Yeah. Thank you so much. Of course. It's been a pleasure. To invest in startups, download past episodes or apply to pitch on the Startup Showcase. Check out technori.com. Stay connected by following us on social at technori or follow me at Katoon. Boom. That's a wrap.